Luke, Luke chapter 10, and Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. If you didn't do your Bible reading today, this, uh, this will be it. So, so uh, quite a few verses we're going to read here, starting in Luke chapter 10. We got the verse on the screen as well. So, let's read this. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He said, Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Jesus was asking him. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, this expert in the law. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, he goes into this parable, and he, and he starts talking about, he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw this man, and he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring olive uh, oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. So the question is, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So we are uh, on week two of a series that we've called Metanoia. And we're talking about this whole idea of the change of heart, the change of, of mind. We're talking about this, this invitation that Jesus gives to us to walk down this path of changing ourselves from the inside out. And we talked about this parallel because we have to understand what, what metanoia means. It's this Greek word that means transformation from the inside out. And we made this parallel last week. We're talking about how it is similar to another uh, Greek word that's called metamorphosis. Now, metamorphosis is, you know, you guys have seen maybe videos of like the, the cocoon and then, you know, turning into a, a butterfly, right? So there's this metamorphosis. There's this external change that is so, so deep that you Compare, you know, the, the caterpillar to the, to the butterfly, and you're like, this is like two completely different insects. They're so different one from another. They've been changed completely from the, from the outside. And so very similar to this, uh, metanoia is a, is a change that we're invited to be a part of, but that's not an external change. It's a change from the inside. Now, I grew up in church, and I thought that our calling as Christians was more of a metamorphosis more than a metanoia. So metamorphosis meant for me, like as a Christian, I just got to be better. On the outside, I have to be better. I got to do better. I have to try harder. I have to show others that I have changed so that in a way, not only others will see me as a new and transformed person and maybe admire me a little bit, but even God would see me different and then I would have, I would have earned my salvation or my approval of God as a result of this metamorphosis. But the reality is that that's not what we're called to do. In fact, Jesus was very uh, straightforward to the Pharisees. When he, when he would see them showing themselves from the outside, he would call them whitewashed tombs. Now, whitewashed tombs is this tomb, right? So there's this tomb that's beautiful on the outside. It looks, man, this, this tomb is so, is so beautiful. But it doesn't matter. We all know what's inside. 
right? The, the tomb is, is dead. There's death inside and there's filth inside. And so he calls the Pharisees like, hey, you guys look great on the outside, but actually you're whitewashed tombs. You are dead on the inside. So it's very important that we understand that, the call, that our calling as Christians is not to start from the outside. Oh, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. But we're called to have a metanoia, which is a change from the inside, and then the rest will follow. So we've been talking about this for the, for the past week, and we're going to do another two weeks after this. What are some of these changes from the inside that God is calling us to make? And so we started uh, last week talking about change your mind about, your, about yourself, Right? And then this week, we're going to talk about change your mind about your neighbor. And so as we were reading before, there's this moment where this expert in the law comes to Jesus and asks him this question. He asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's he's probably been hearing Jesus talking about this whole idea of of eternal life, of of eternal life. And people are talking about it. Like there's there's this eternal life that's being offered to us. And I've heard about it. And so I want to be a part of it. And so he comes to Jesus and he asks kind of the obvious question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is a pretty legitimate question. You know, if you want to do, if you want to be a part of anything, that's a normal question. If you want to buy a house, if you want to have a membership somewhere, you want to go on a trip, a subscription, you're like, hey, that looks, that looks pretty good. So the question is, what must I do in order to get that thing that I want? So he asked Jesus that question. It's the assumption that some of us also make. And so Jesus answers him and says, well, what's in the law? Right, expert in the law. So look at the law, you know, look at the Old Testament, the Torah. What does the law say? How do you, how do you read it? Which was an interesting thing because, because experts in the law back then, that was a normal question that they would ask each other. They would, they would look at the Torah and they were like, how do, you, how do you read it? Which means not just how do you read it, like, oh, I read it like, no. How do you interpret it? What, is this, what does this mean to you? And so he goes and he just literally just quotes the law. He says, the lawyer answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus hears that and he says, well, yeah, I mean, you answered, you answered correctly. So you just quoted the law. You didn't give me your interpretation. You just told me what it is that the Old Testament says. And then Jesus answers. He says, yeah, you have answered correctly. And then he says, do that and you will live. But the, the expert in the law was not happy with the answer. He's like, no, 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 no. You, you, you have to settle a discussion that, we've, we, that we have. There's this debate, this ongoing debate, because in the, in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Exodus, you have this law. And it says, love your neighbor as yourself. But the problem is, there's no definition of what your neighbor means. So he wanted to know, like, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Like, I know what the law says, but, but give me a definition of, of what, how you understand a a neighbor, what is that? Because some of the scholars in the Old Testament, they, they, some of them said that the neighbor was just those that are part of the covenant. So if you're part of the covenant, that's the neighbor. That means you don't have to worry about anybody else. Just these people that are part of the same thing, the insiders, those who agree with you, those who believe what you believe, those who act like you like, like you act, or that are part of your inner circle. That's why... He asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? And the Bible gives us his motivation. He t- the Bible tells us why he was asking this question. It's because he wanted to justify himself. This, this expert in the law was asking, and who is my neighbor? Because he wanted to justify himself. Now, what was he wanting to justify himself 
for? Well, I don't know. Maybe it was to get a pass and him not having to consider some people as his neighbor. Like, I know this guy, he's at this, the scripture cannot mean him. You know, trying to get a pass, maybe. But, they, but Jesus answers the question. He's asking, who's my neighbor? And Jesus answers the question. How does he answer the question? He answers the question by a parable. He goes into this parable. And so he talks about this man who was left for dead. They took his clothes. They took everything. He was almost dead. And there is this priest that just walks by. And immediately, the expert in the law was like, oh, he's talking about me, right? And then a Levite goes by, same thing, doesn't look, you know, and the, the expert in the law is saying, like, Jesus is talking about me, right? And then the third guy that goes by was a Samaritan, which, they, which were their, their enemies, their enemies for centuries. He goes by and he helps, and he helps the guy. So at this point, the lawyer would have assumed where the story was going, right? He's saying, like I said before, I'm the priest or the Levite who was too busy to stop, and the hopeless man is the neighbor, you know, that I should care about, and the moral of the story is I need to be more like the Samaritan. Like, it's pretty obvious, right? Now, the logical answer to the question is to who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? It would obviously be the hopeless guy who was attacked. And so the moral of the story, like I said before, I need to be more like the Samaritan. And many people, they'll walk away from that parable, and that's it. Be more like the Samaritan, right? But the interesting thing is you have to notice that, that he doesn't ask the lawyer, who's the neighbor in the story? He doesn't ask him that. He does not ask him that. Because the obvious answer would be the man who was in need. But Jesus doesn't even mention the man who was left for dead. He doesn't ask about the man who was left for dead. But he flips the question and he asks instead, which of these three, right, the Levite, the priest, or the Samaritan, which of these three was a neighbor to the person who fell in the hands of robbers? Now, you may think that's not, that's not important, but it's, it's very, very important. Because it's not about whether the hopeless guy was their neighbor or not. It was about whether you are a neighbor to the hopeless guy. Okay, that may sound like a bunch of gibberish. Let me explain it. Why is this important? Because what the lawyer wanted from Jesus, this is what the lawyer wanted from Jesus. He's like, just give me another law. Just give me another law to follow. Just explain, yeah, okay, I'll just add one more law to my list and I don't have to do any internal work. I'll just follow another law. But Jesus wasn't satisfied with that. The, the lawyer didn't want to change anything on the inside. He's like, just give me another law to follow and I will follow that law if I agree with it. But Jesus doesn't care about adding another law, but about going for the lawyer's heart because that's the only thing that he wants to conquer. And that's the goal for us today as well, hopefully. You see, this is why Jesus this is, excuse me, this is why the law starts by stating, love your neighbor. Because love your neighbor, okay? What does it say right after that? As yourself, right? Which is really interesting. Love your neighbor as yourself. So it's not about deciding about us, deciding who is worthy of, of you know, our love. That's not, the, that's not the question here. It's not about deciding who's worthy of your love, but understanding something that Jesus insists on so many times. And sometimes we don't get it. It's hard for us to get. And it's this fact, that we are one. He calls us to be one. He wants us to be one. 
And when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's saying, your hurt is my hurt. He's saying, your loss, that's also my loss. He's saying, if you have joy, that's also my joy. Your lag, that's also, that's also my, my lag. He's saying, love your neighbor as yourself. The problem is that, and I, I struggle with this a lot. We tend to distance ourselves from, from one another. We tend to say, oh, that's them, and that's, yeah, this guy's a little bit closer, she's a little bit further away. Like, but the, the, the invitation here is to understand that we are called to love one another like we love ourselves. Now, there's an assumption being made here, which I think we should, we should dig into a little bit. There's an assumption that's being made, and the assumption is that you actually love yourself. So I think we need to ask ourselves that question first. Do, do you love yourself? You see, maybe the reason why you may find it hard to love your neighbor is not just because you find them unlovable, like, oh, man, that guy, you know, or find them difficult. Oh, man, I can't stand this person. Or there's this person that, like, man, I know God calls me to love them, but they are so annoying. Like, how am I supposed to love them? I would argue that it's very likely that the reason why you have a hard time loving other people isn't because that person is necessarily unlovable, but it's probably because you maybe don't love yourself. I want to unpack that here a little bit. I want, to ask you, I want you to ask yourself that question, do you love yourself? Which I get is a strange question to ask in church. Like, what does this mean exactly? Like, it doesn't mean that you're loving yourself and you're like, oh, I just love myself so much. I'm so amazing, right? That's not what it is. It's not what it's talking about. Biblically, loving yourself, loving yourself means seeing yourself the way God sees you. That's what it means. Romans 12, 3 says this. It says, for the, for by, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So what does this mean? Think of yourself with sober, sober judgment. Sober. Like, what's the opposite of sober? Let's say drunk. Okay. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever been drunk, by the way. So just keep it to yourself. Let's say you've seen someone drunk. Have you ever seen someone drunk? Okay. They're, they're, not, they're not in their full senses. Like, they're, they're not experiencing life in reality. You got to sober up, and then you realize, oh, man, now I, I can't believe what I did yesterday. Like, that just wasn't me, right? So there's something, there's something to be said about that, too, in relationship to how we see ourselves. Sometimes we don't see ourselves accurately. There's this concept called body dysmorphia, where you look at yourself in the mirror, and you, you see yourself, you perceive yourself different than, you, than the way that you actually you actually are. And that can happen to us. The same thing can happen to us in how we see ourselves. That's why we can't go to ourselves or the opinion of others as far as our value. We have to go to God to understand how he sees us. You see, Proverbs Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So this this whole idea of what are you letting into your heart? Like, are you, are you listening to everyone else or opinions or comparison of how you value yourself? Or are you going to the source of the person who created you in order to determine what your value is? You see, the enemy wants to make you believe that you are worthless. But you have to guard your heart against all these lies. 
So you won't be able to love yourself if you don't fill your heart with the truth about God and how he loves you. And so what I want to do with the few minutes that I have left, I want to give you three reasons. Three reasons. Evidences that will remind you how much God loves you. Okay? Three of them. Number one, God loves you because he created you. Psalm 139, 13 to 14 says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When you stand in the mirror and you look at yourself, what do you see? I'll tell you what I see. I see all the things that I want to change about myself. When was the last time you looked at yourself in the mirror and you were like, oh, praise God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God, you did good. That would be weird, right? That would be material for a different sermon, right? But the reality is that that's how God sees you. Have you ever, have you ever created something that you've been so proud of the result? So I made chili once about two years ago. And I've never made it again. And it was the most amazing chili you've ever tasted, right? Yes. And they keep talking about it. I'm like, I don't want to ever make it again because I just want to go on like a myth. You know, like, hey, this guy just made this. I don't want to jinx it, right? But I was very proud of that. That was kind of a weird example. But when God sees you, he looks at you and he says, I did good. I did good. I, I, this is, I, I created you and you are fearfully and wonderfully Made After God created Adam, he didn't just say good. He said very good. All the creation was good, but he created humanity. And this was very, very good. You are his creation. And the, fa- the very fact that God created you is proof that he loves you. That's number one. He loves you because he created you. Number two, he loves you because he died for you. What is the greatest way you can prove your love for someone that's sacrificing for them? And what is the greatest sacrifice a person can make for another is giving up their life for them. And that's exactly what God did for you. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay their life down for his friends. Do you want unmistakable proof that God loves you? He died for you. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Jesus willingly went on the cross for you. Why? Because he loves you so very much. That's number two. Number three, God loves you because he adopted you. Ephesians 1, 4-5 puts it this way. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Adoption. Adoption is a beautiful thing. Many parents have adopted children. And and this adoption, it, it costs money, it costs effort, it costs stress, it costs time. But why do they do this? One word. Love. And God adopted you into his family. You see, God loves you so much. He loves you because he created you. He loves you because he died for you. He loves you because he adopted you. And he would have done all of this, even if you were the only person, he would have still done this for you. You see, these three truths should absolutely change the way you see God, which should change the way you see yourself, which should 
change the way you love your neighbors. You see, you are loved unconditionally and completely. This is what Jesus is trying to do with this expert in the law. This is the work he's trying to do in his, in his heart. He's trying to, he's trying to go deep. The, this lawyer is like, oh, just give me another lie. He's like, no, 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 that's not, gonna, that's not gonna help you. You have to go deep. You have to go into your heart. He says, it's not about a law. It's about you. You, who are you called to be a neighbor to? What's the limit? The lawyer wants to know. What's the limit? How, like, how far do I need to go? Like, how many times should I forgive this man? He's been, he's been on my nerve for so long. Like, I have to keep forgiving him? Like, where's the limit? Where should I stop forgiving? The answer to that question is, where did, where did Jesus stop with you? Where did God stop with you? At what point did he stop? You see, how you understand the love for one another or the limit that you put on who your neighbor is, is the same limit that you're putting on the power of the forgiveness that you have received. So the question becomes now, who do you have trouble loving? No, no, don't say any names and don't do that. Don't, no, no, don't raise your hand. Like, no, no, don't call anybody out. Just think about it. Who do you have trouble loving? Who? Okay. Now, why? You may think, well, because they're jerks. He's a jerk. She's a jerk. No, it's not. It's not. It's you. Not that you're a jerk, but like, <laughs> it's, it's something in you. But maybe you are. I don't know. I don't know you that well. But, um, but it's something that needs to happen on the inside. And it's how much you understand how much God loves you that will determine who your neighbor is and how far you should go. When you know how much God loves you, you begin loving yourself and your neighbor spontaneously. 1 John 4, 19 says this, we love, why? We love, why? Because they deserve it? No, we love because he loved us first. He took the first step. Not because they are lovable, not because they deserve it, not because they did something amazing to earn it, but because he loved us first. And so I'm going to end with this. Um, but we have to be reminded of all this. We have to be reminded. And I'm going to go really basic here. It seems basic, but this is deep. This is so deep. I don't think it gets any deeper than this. You guys ready? So you have to fill your heart and your mind with the realities of who you are and who God is. So I want to ask you a question. You're like, ah, I've heard this one before, but this is so important. You need to fill your mind and your heart with the word of God. You have to. This is, this is your anchor. Like, you need to read the scriptures and, and find out who God is and who you are and why you're here. And these truths about how God sees you are going to run deep in your heart. And you're going to understand how much God loves you. So I want to I take a moment here uh, for us to pray together. And if we could just maybe bow our heads and, and close our eyes for a minute here. I'm going to say a few things and then, we'll, and then we'll pray. Because maybe you're here this morning and, and you're having trouble with some people in your circle. People in your lives that 
they just seem to get on your nerves or situations that you're just like, man, I just, I should stop being patient. I should stop loving. I should just walk away and maybe do things that you shouldn't do. Send emails that you shouldn't send, make phone calls. Just, but I want you to think about, I want you to think about what Christ did for you. I want you to think about how much he loves you. And I want you to think about the price that he paid. Like Philippians chapter 2 says that he, he humbled himself. Him, him being God over everything, came to earth, humbled himself, and died the worst death anyone could ever die for us. That's the, that's the extent of his love. And the goal today is not for you to feel guilty because maybe you've walked away from a relationship or you've, done, you've, you've reacted in a way that you shouldn't react or you've been unlovable to someone who you feel doesn't deserve it. That's not the goal here, for you to feel bad about it or guilty. To go to the source and just think about Jesus. Think about him. Think about what he did. Think about who he is, how he sees you, how much he loves you. Let that reality permeate your heart. And, that, and let the overflow of that dictate how you see other people. And so I want to invite you to, to make a commitment here. This is just you and God, but a commitment of daily prayer, daily meditation on the Word of God, daily quiet time where you can go into the secret place and the quiet time and just let God speak into you and Him determine the texture of your day and let him change you from the inside out. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word today. I pray, God, that this will allow people to have a transformation from the inside and knowing that we are so loved by you. So we couldn't be any more loved. There's no way. It's impossible to be loved more than you love us. I pray that that truth would just come into our hearts and settle us and determine how we see other people. God, you can only do this. So I pray, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will just seal this message in our hearts. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.